0: I I love, um, I I, I tell you this almost every week, but I just am reminded every week when I'm in this room how much I love this church and I love that we're a place that we can, um, we can be honest. Yeah. I love that we're a place that can be honest about our struggles and the darkness that we feel in life. And I hear stories from you where you you feel uh, moments of just being overwhelmed with darkness or pain or fear like something that might be coming, that you're, you're just not sure what that's going to end up being. And I'm glad and thankful for a place and a community where we can rest with one another and trust one another to be honest and, and find um, some healthy ways to, to walk through that together. So thanks for being that kind of church. I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Uh, this series, the, this uh, relatable where we're learning how to understand ourselves, a little bit of self-awareness. We're learning how we, we best can connect with God uh, in our personality styles and, and in the ways that we've been wired. And then uh, today we're going to tackle a little bit about how do we relate to the people around us. And some of you have been waiting for this. You've been saying, Matt, I, I need my husband or I need my wife to, to, to relate better to me. When are you going to talk about that? Today's the day. It's going to be awesome. Uh, just to catch some of you up who haven't been around the last two weeks, the Enneagram is really a self-awareness tool and it's a system. Uh, it's, it's not static. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a system and it's dynamic. It's built around not just the actions that we have when we walk through life. It, it's, it's built around our motivations, our core motivations and why we do the things that we do. And most humans would, would relate to this, that we, we have desires. We usually know the certain things that we want to do or that we should do. We just can't do them. And we don't understand why we keep doing the things that we don't want to do. do you ever, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that about the person next to you? No, don't answer that. <laughs> why do you keep doing the things I don't want you to do? That's not what Paul says. He, he says... Um, he says, I, I know the things that I need to do. I just can't seem to do them. And the things that I don't want to do, I'm clearly, I, I know they're unhealthy. I, I find myself doing those things again and again. Can, can anyone help me? Paul says that. It's like he's talking to himself in his mind. He, he, it, it's like he's out of his mind a little bit. And that's where I'm like, yes, amen. That's how I feel sometimes. And um, he said, thank God that Christ, through Christ, we find a way to to, to, to move in a healthy direction through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us into a, a new way to be ourselves. And the Enneagram is just one way um, maybe to, to find some, uh, some self-awareness. A couple quick things as, as we as we move into this morning. I've had some people say, Matt, I, I feel like I'm like five types, like I have multiple personalities within myself. And uh, I say, yes, you do. Um, and I do too. There's a little bit of each type or number in each one of us so you can rest in that that each of us has a little bit of, of, of of these but there's one type or one number that we most relate to that we can most connect to so that's that's what i hope you're discovering have i just want to get a feel how many of you have gone on a little journey and you're you're maybe finding the number that you think you are let's just see where we are okay good Good, that's awesome. Um, I think today will help us a little bit as well. And and when it comes to self-awareness, just be reminded that becoming more self-aware is not the end goal. The end goal is to find health in our self-awareness, to move to a place of health, to ask God's Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to His Spirit so that He might mold us and shape us in a new direction. So it's not enough to just become self-aware and say, deal with it, this is just who I am. I've tried that with my wife, and it just doesn't work. (laughs) That's not the goal of the Enneagram. It's not the goal of self-awareness. It's just to put ourselves in a box and be done with it. Uh, If you've missed the last two weeks, the best place to catch up is YouTube.com. Slash mcdowell church it's the best place to catch up on the last two weeks there's podcasts as well and uh, all those places where you can get podcasts if you want to catch up i'd encourage you to do that and we've been suggesting two books for those who want to go deeper in enneagram studies the road back to you uh, by ian crone and suzanne stabil and the path between us you're tired of me saying this but i just, i'm just trying to help those who have missed just to, to have a couple places of start, starting point now I'm going to let you talk to your neighbor just for a second. I want you to think for a second of the ways that you view the world and the ways that you live in the world. And I want you to think just for a second, what, uh, what is it that influences how you view the world? Like the lens that you have, how is it that you came to get the lens that you have by which you view and interact with the world? So I want you to just think of one way that... Um, that your lens uh, maybe has been impacted? And I can't say anything else because then I'll give you some answers, and I don't want to give you any answers. So go ahead and share with your neighbor just what's something that has impacted the way you view the world. It's not a trick question. Super simple. Just one way. You got it? All right. How many of you... um, How many of you quickly said my upbringing or my family of origin? How many of you said that? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. How many of you said friends? My friends have impacted. Yep, a couple of you said my friends. I made a list this week of the ways that my lens has been impacted and and what has influenced the way that I see and interact with the world. Now, look at this list. It is incomplete, but look at this list. So, my motivations and my personality impact the ways that I see the world. The, the fact that I lean towards being an introvert, not an extrovert, that impacts the lens that I have. You've gone to the eye doctor before, and it's like A, B, and by the end of it, you're like, I have no idea what I'm seeing anymore. My eyes are crossed. And But our motivations, our personalities, they impact our lens. Uh, our upbringing, our family of origin, I absolutely know that my upbringing impacts the ways that I view the world and interact with the world. Uh, Regardless of your faith, you would would agree with that. That has impacted the ways that you're you're living in the world today. Pain and trauma. Many people say that that pain, especially in your childhood, and trauma move you in a certain direction to live and see the world with with a certain lens. Uh, The fact that my parents divorced when I was in high school impacts the way in which I relate to the world and see the world around me. My father, his father, uh, I've shared this with you before, committed suicide. He was an alcoholic, was abusive in many ways. And uh, that, my my dad walking through that experience, that impacted the lens by which he views and interacts with the world around him. Does that make sense? Are you with me still? Yeah. So our our, our pain and our trauma, uh, our community and, and our friends impact the ways in which we view and walk through the world in which we live. Our friends, the people you've surrounded yourself with. And it's why some of us, when we were kids, our parents said, be careful who you run around with. Like, you need some new friends. Because they impact the ways that we interact and view the world around us. School and vocation, right? The the school that we attend, the teachers that we have, the coaches that we have, the band leaders that we have, uh, all of that impacts the ways in which we see the world, the lenses that we have on when we, we see the world around us and the ways in which we interact with the people around us. Now, I want you to keep, keep that in mind, that you have a lens that you are looking at the world through. And it's almost like I see many of you have glasses on, like you have spectacles on. But the truth is, all of us have glasses and spectacles and lenses all of us do, and, and it's so important to keep in mind that we have a pair of lenses that we're viewing and interacting with the world. I keep saying it. You're like, Matt, you can move on past this point. Are you with me? Yeah. Do you hear me? You have a lens that you're viewing the world with. Now, so often, we believe everyone shares the same set of lenses that we view the world through, right? We... So often, we believe that everyone uh, shares the lens through which we view the world. But the reality is, each person is looking at the world through their own unique lenses. Every person, look at the person on your left and right, in front of you, behind you, they have their own lenses. They do not have the same lenses that you have. Isn't that frustrating? Wouldn't this world be so much better if they shared your lenses? Some of you are like, that would fix all of our problems in government. Like, if everybody just had my lenses, obviously this world would be a much better place. Amen? Amen. (laughs) No. (laughs) This world would be terrible if we all had the same set of lenses. There would be no life in this world if we all had the same set of lenses. We, we would be annoying to one another if we all have the same set of lenses. We would drive one another crazy, I think, more than the fact that we have different lenses. The, the challenge in all of this, the challenge in all of this is to understand our unique lenses and at the same time give grace and have compassion for the lenses by which other people view the world. Isn't that the great challenge? To say, you know what? I, I, I own that I'm viewing the world in this light. And, and I want to give you space and grace. And I want to have compassion to understand that your lenses are just going to be a little bit different than mine. And, and the truth is, if every single one of us had an opportunity to take a microphone and share with a large group of people... What we walk through as children, and especially as middle schoolers, and high schoolers, and in our early 20s, if if we all could share some of the pain that we experienced, some of the challenges we had to overcome, it would give us all a little bit of grace and compassion for one another. But we don't have the opportunity to do that. We just go through life with lenses, never being able to express why we have the lens that we do have. Are you with me? Yeah, and Learning to love others, which is something that we said as a community, this is one of our pillars, we want to learn to love other people uh, in healthier ways, so learning to love others requires us to have an awareness of this truth and some grace for the differences that exist. And one of the reasons I wanted to tackle this series is for this very reason, is for what we're talking about today, and that is to enter into relationships with one another that are full of grace and full of compassion so that we can quit dividing ourselves, so that we can quit building walls between one another, and instead we can build some bridges and some coffee tables where we can sit across from one another and still have differences, but have a little bit more grace for those differences. Um, Oh, I love that. So I want to share a couple passages of Scripture with you. I'm going to begin with a story that I just love this little story that's found in Luke chapter 10, and I love it because it highlights something, and then I'm going to give us a test as we walk through it. Are you ready for a little bit of a test? Some of you are like, no. It's like all going back to my childhood today. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling with his disciples, and as they're, as they're traveling, as they're on their way to Jerusalem, they come to a certain village, and Martha, there's a woman named Martha there, and she welcomes Jesus, probably his disciples, into her home. And she has a sister. She happens to have a sister who hangs out uh, in her home. You might have a sister like this that drives you crazy, like Mary does, Martha. Her sister Mary uh, sat at Jesus' feet, and she's listening to all the things that he's, that he's teaching But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She was getting lemon zest. And as she was getting lemon zest off the lemon, she was just looking into the living room where all Mary is doing is sitting and listening to Jesus. (laughs) And she has too much lemon zest. And whatever it is, she's preparing the salad or whatever. And it's just, you know, starting to eat her alive. Have you ever been there? Your kids are just playing videos, and you're trying to get the house together. Your husband is on the TV with the remote because there's college football on, and you are trying to get everything done, and he won't do anything. There's an amen. It's about time someone spoke up. And all she does is nag you. Yes, there we go. You're in trouble later, but it's okay. (laughs) Listen to this. Listen listen to what Martha does. This is hilarious. She comes to Jesus, and she says, Lord, it just doesn't seem fair. (laughs) It's just not fair. Like, I'm doing all this work, and she's just sitting and listening to you. And Martha tells Jesus what to do. I think this is what we often do. We tell Jesus what to do. I know what's best. I have a certain set of lenses. I view the world in the correct way. And Jesus, obviously, he doesn't, she doesn't, they don't. And so, if Jesus, if you can just fix what's going on here, I would appreciate it. Now, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. You can go read it uh, later. But, but Martha basically tells Jesus what to say to Mary. Tell her to come and help me. Now... For those of you who have been looking at the Enneagram, uh, here's the test. What number, what type is Martha? She's an eight. She's a one. Yes, she's one of those, probably. She's a one. She's an eight. And, it's, and it's, what, what Mary is doing, it's not fair and it's not right. I'm a one, so I understand that comment. It's not right what she's doing. It's, it's not fair. That's not how the world should operate, right? She's probably... Now, uh, Mary, she could be probably a lot of different numbers, but for those who have been studying it, what number do you think Mary is? Maybe a... I don't know if she's a two. What? A nine? <laughs> so are you like, the one where she doesn't do anything. Yeah, nine. Let's, <laughs> let's go with that. But very clearly... Very clearly, they have, I think we can agree on this, regardless of what their types are. The Enneagram did not exist back then, but um, they have very different motivations. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yes. Are, are either of those motivations wrong? Not necessarily. The fact that uh, Martha was preparing a dinner... I mean, how many of you are you thankful that people prepare dinners every now and then? Yes, we are thankful for that. That's a good thing, especially when you invite someone into your home. If you invite me over to your home, um, dinner would be awesome. Like, do that as well. Uh, that's not a bad thing. Also, if, if Jesus comes and shows up in your house, is it a bad thing to sit and listen to Jesus? No, it's not a bad thing to sit and listen. And so neither one of them are necessarily bad, but they are very different motivations that are guiding these two women in two very different directions, right? And that's the point that all of us, it's, it's so interesting, all of us have motivations that lead us in certain directions, and we want other people to do the things that we're motivated to do, And yet they have different motivations that lead them in other ways. And and Jesus, um, he doesn't doesn't tell Mary. You've got to read it later if you want. But he doesn't tell Mary to go help Martha. And he also doesn't tell Martha that she shouldn't be cooking either. Now, there is something that he says. I'll let you find out what that is. Jesus, um, he says this, that, that your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, that you're my people. It's not what you know. It's the way that you love one another that will be the distinguishing mark in this world. And this is one of the most convicting statements Jesus makes, in my opinion. Because when I look around the world and when I look at my actions, I oftentimes cannot say that my actions are marked primarily and purely by love and sometimes I wish there were other markers that were more important to showing that I'm a follower of Jesus like how many times I show up on Sunday you're like you have to Matt you're the one up front and you're (laughs) but that would be awesome if that was the thing that that showed the world that I was a follower of Jesus but Jesus says that's not what it is it's your love for who for one another for others for people when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, two answers, love who? God, and love others. And he tied them together in a very interesting way to me, like that one would be a natural flow out of the other. He says the second is just like the first. It kind of flows out of the first, and the language is a little confusing, but the, but, but the way that he ties it together almost um, insinuates uh, this, that, that our love for God, the depth of our love for God will become most evident in our practical and daily love for other people. Ooh, that's, that's tough. That the depth of our love for God will become most evident in our practical and daily love for one another. Now, I, c- I should probably end right there, the day. I should just call it quits there. Amen. Oh, there it is, amen. Just a little bit further, though. I'm going to go a little bit further. Um, that, that should challenge us, church. Those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus should be challenged by these things. And it should cause us to dig deep into some self-awareness so that we understand the lens that we're viewing the world through and so that we have more compassion for lenses that we may not understand we may not see, we may not agree with. The Enneagram. Uh, I just want to speak just for for a minute about the the Enneagram specifically today. And this might be helpful for some of you who have been having a challenge finding maybe where you are in the the spectrum of the types and the numbers. Um, There are some stances that the Enneagram speaks to. And stances have to do with... uh, the certain ways that we react or uh, postures or attitudes, their patterns that we have in in ways that we respond to experiences and people around us. So think about a stance and um, think about if somebody came after me in an aggressive way, the way that I would respond to that. Think about that. If somebody, if I see someone charge, don't do this right now, Keith, but If I saw someone charging at me right now, there may be three ways that I might respond. I might respond aggressively and go right after him. I might respond in a way that I turn and run because I can outrun Keith, pretty pretty sure. Uh, I can outrun him, so I might turn and run or I might realize that Keith's actually not after me. I might join Keith, step next to him, and get after you, John. You're the problem, not me. Let's get him. So do you, do you see the three different stances that I could take as I experience this, this, this posture I could take as someone? So that's the stances in, in a nutshell um, that I wanna talk about. The first one is an assertive or an aggressive stance. And the numbers that fall into these, uh, this category are the threes, the sevens, and the eights. Now remember, the threes are the performers, they're the ones who are worried about the external and they want to achieve success and, and all of that. The sevens are the enthusiasts, they're the life of the party. And the eights are the challengers. So they're the ones who are not af- afraid of conflict. They'll go after it. And here's, here's the assertive stances that are taken. Uh, they often find themselves in charge of others. They they always they, they tend to put their agendas first and they're independent. They're aggressive against whatever or whoever may get in the way of their, the threes, their goals, because threes always have those goals out there. So anything that comes against those, they're gonna be aggressive towards those people or those things. Does that make sense? For the sevens, satisfaction. They're the enthusiasts who just wanna live life and have joy, joy, joy. So anything that comes against their satisfaction with life, they're gonna be aggressive towards that. And for the eights, they have an agenda that they're after. They're going to be aggressive at anyone or anything that stands in the way of their agenda, what they're trying to achieve. Does that, does it, th- are you with me? Does that make sense? Now, I want you to think about that in marriage, in business, in parenting. Now, wouldn't, some of you who, who don't relate to three or seven or an eight at all, like if you're a one, like You go, that is crazy that they would respond in that. Well, it's not to them. Because they wear that certain lens and they react in that certain way. It's a pattern for them to react that way because of their motivations, what's deep within them. So let's go another step. So there's the compliance stance. These are the ones, the twos, and the sixes. And the ones and the twos and the sixes most often find themselves as, and here's, here's a, one of those words that sometimes I don't like relating to, codependent-type people. Codependent-type people. People who find their worth in their relationships with others. And um, so they're often concerned with what's expected of them. They're loyal and dependable. They're dependent on what or who helps them earn. For the one, righteousness or being right. For the twos, they're looking for approval and, uh, oh, that's not threes, that's supposed to be sixes. Uh, security. Sixes, the loyalists, are looking for security. So uh, they're going to be compliant with those who help them in those directions. Does that make sense? They're the ones who go along with as long as we're, we're connected together. Um, let me give you a great example of this. I'm a one, so I really relate to, to how this happens. A one and a three working together. So in a work environment, if you run a business, I think this is incredibly helpful. Or if you, in your business, always have to, often have to work with someone else who has a different personality or motivation than you, a one and a three are interesting. A lot of times they can go along with each other, but for the one, following the rules is really important. For the three... They could care less about the rules. They're just trying to perform and get the job done. Now, do you see how this could pro- cause a problem in an office? We're a three where you come together on a team and you're saying, okay, this is what we're trying to accomplish. We need to get this done and we need to have this produced for our client by uh, the end of the month. And the three says, that's easy. We can, we can just buy it from you know, another country and bring it in and, and then pr- produce it and give it to them. But the one says, well, wait a minute. We have health requirements. We have to go through the process of research and development to get to that place. What if they're not produced correctly in that other country? What do we need to do to make sure? That? And the three's like, who cares? They just want the gadget. Let's just give them the gadget. Do you see how this could cause a problem in business? Do you see how this could cause a problem in your house? Let's follow the rules. The one wants you to put things where they belong when people are coming over. The threes just want things put away. They don't really care where it goes. I'm trying to help you out at home. And then there's another stance. There's, there's another stance, and it's the withdrawing stance. And these are the fours, the fives, and the nines. The fours, the fives, and the nines. And um, this stance is one, the, kind of the turn and run, uh, isolate themselves. Uh, they're slow, usually slow to make some decisions. They're often introverted, yet incredibly imaginative in their work. They withdraw from whatever or whoever triggers, for the four, insecurity, that they're not enough, that they're not unique. So if it triggers that insecurity, they withdraw, kind of isolate themselves. For the five, it's inadequacy. If, if I don't have the information that I need, remember the five is the investigator. They want all the knowledge, the information. They withdraw and then distress for the nine like if you create any kind of tension they're going to withdraw from that and i've told you my wife is a nine she oftentimes if there's tension in the house i'll find her in bed with the covers over her head with earphones in listening to a book or music or something because the tension she just withdraws from that she isolates herself from that um Now, do you see how these different stances and the ways of interacting with one another might not work so well if you don't understand where the other one is coming from, especially in a marriage? Can you see that in marriage? I see some of you husbands and wives looking at each other like, and you're like, I hope you're writing this down and taking a picture right now. So the point isn't knowing just where you stand what kind of stance you have, that's important. But then to take that, to move to a healthier place, to understand that when tension strikes, so for, for Robin and me, when we get in fights, oh wait, we never, um, when we get in disagreements, <laughs> when, when Robin and I, if, if we have some sort of, of, of tension disagreement, my tendency as a one is to want to fix whatever the problem is right now. And her tendency is to withdraw to get her mind together, to, to, to get her thoughts together, and then to come back to the conversation later. This has caused quite a bit of problems from time to time in our marriage. When she withdraws from me in the house, I tend to just want to follow her. That is, it's, not, it's not the best reaction, I admit. But it took us years to figure this out. It took us years to figure this out. And when I finally realized, oh, she's just not ignoring me. She's not just withdrawing so that she doesn't have to deal with the issue. She just needs time to lower the temperature in the room, to create a little bit more space for us, to then clearly be able to say the things we actually want to say, not the things that we just say in anger. When I learned that about her, and when I had more grace and compassion for that stance versus the stance that I have, like fix it now kind of a stance, then it, it created a whole new health in our relationship with one another. Do you see how that could help in your relationship? Not just with a spouse, but with a child, with a coworker, with a neighbor. And so here's what, um, here's what Paul says in Ephesians. Get rid of all bitterness and rage, and anger, and harsh words, and slander, as well as evil behavior. Get rid, just get rid of it. I wish it were that easy, Paul. And I think the beauty in scripture is that Paul, especially in his writings, doesn't just say get rid of something, but he then gives us something to replace it with. In the same passage, he says if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands to do good work for people who need it. Isn't that great? Like he doesn't just say quit stealing. Uh, don't, he, he says quit stealing, quit using your, your hands for evil, but instead use your hands to build something good. So he always gives us something to do when we take something out. So get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as evil, evil behavior. Instead, he gives us three options. Be kind to each other be compassionate with one another and forgive one another the way God has forgiven you. These three pieces, uh, the ways that we understand the Enneagram, the ways that we understand ourselves, these three things in Scripture I think could be revolutionary in our relationships. If we could learn to get rid of bitterness and rage and harsh words and anger and like that bitterness that comes out in the ways that we talk to and about one another, if instead we could turn that into kindness and compassion and forgiveness in the moments when we've been hurt, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So we're going to close with a question today, just, just one question, and that question is this, What do I need to develop as I continue learning to love the people I come in contact with each day? Isn't that a good question to wrestle with when it comes to relationships? What do I personally, not what does my husband, not what does my wife, what do my kids need? No, no, what do I need? What do I need in my life? What do I need to develop as I continue to learn to love the people I come in contact with each and every day? Is it kindness? Is it compassion? Is it forgiveness? As you think about that, um, I want to challenge you to write it down. In your journal, possibly this week, something that you would come back to day in and day out. So this week is um, page 14. Maybe at the top, you just write it down. Compassion. I need some more compassion. I need some. I need to forgive people better, or more fully, or I just need to be kind. Don't steal your. Don't steal your husband's book and write it for them. That's not. That's not good. <laughs> write it yourself. Like, like, what do you need to work on, as you work through the, uh, the scripture this week.